0: Today's reading is from Acts 17:22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all, raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, Christina. Well, good morning again, guys. Uh, My name is Sean Myers. I'm the lead pastor here, the teaching pastor for Redemption Peoria. And um, I know there's a lot of new faces here, uh, and I, I, I really do mean this. If I have not met you and I don't know you, I really would like to get to know you. Uh, maybe this is the only time you plan on being here, but at least we can be friends for like five minutes. Um, Patrice, great job. Where's Pat Rice at? Um, Patrice, great job. That's I I've, Even listening to the interview, kind of processing, yeah, like God continues to reveal knowledge, right? And you're passing that good stuff. Anyway, um, so... Here's the deal. Uh, Christina just read a text for us, and and I got about 40 minutes with you, and I want to get right into it um, because I I recognize there's a... There's a a weird kind of um, shift that happens uh, on on Easter Sunday, Um, and I I recognize that not all the people are the same in the room, and that text seems a little odd for an Easter Sunday, Um, and and here's why it seems odd, because um, I recognize that there's essentially three people in the room. There are those of you who I recognize and know um, and, and are friends with. I see you in community. You're here every week and um, you are at the very core of what the resurrection is, celebrating the resurrection. So when someone says, He is risen, He is risen indeed, you are about that. You recognize what the resurrection is. Then there are some of you who honestly, and, and it may sound funny, don't really want to be here. Maybe your parents made you come, or your kids made you come, or your grandparents made you come, or whatever it is. And, and it's Easter, so you, 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 you came because you were going to be nice. And then there's this middle group that you would say you're Christian, you would, you would claim Christianity and say you believe in the resurrection, but yet still you kind of follow in the footsteps of that latter group in that you only come to church on Easter and Christmas. And because because of that... Um, it creates this weird thing. I was telling my, uh, my wife, Candace about this. Uh, you know, if I, so I didn't become a Christian until high school, but let's say I was just going to, Christm- uh, going to church on Easter every year. I feel like I would go to church every year on Easter, and then I'd be like, all they do is talk about this dude coming out of the tomb. Like, is that, is that the only thing they know, right? Um, and I was just telling, like, it's so funny that, for some of you, like, it's just, uh, hey, once a year, we're going to be there. Once a year, we're going to be there. It's like, well, we talk more. About, like, the resurrection is it. Like, that's where it's at. But we talk more um, than just that. And so what I wanted to do is, and I wanted to level the playing field, set it all straight, and, and here's how I want to go about it. I want to explain why the resurrection matters. As much as I want to celebrate the resurrection, I want to, ex- uh, like, at a core level, explain why it matters. And for us to do that, we've got to get out our text. So if you don't have a Bible... There's some Bibles at the uh, um, ends on these boxes. Feel free to either come down or go up and grab one. Uh, you can keep that, uh, or you can obviously just jump online and, on the App Store, and, and there's, who knows, countless apps that you can get a Bible um, uh, on there. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to read this text. I want to set us up, and I want to go at this the best we can. And here's what I would really challenge you to do. Um, I would try, if you can, to be in this story that we're going to read because it is a weird story for Easter, but we're going to get at something that I think ultimately cuts at the heart of what Easter is about and how we tend to celebrate it or not celebrate it. Okay, and here's what I mean. So there's this dude, Paul, um, who uh, essentially he's become a believer. Uh, He's knocked off his horse one day. Jesus uh, Jesus does this crazy thing in his life. He, He becomes a believer. And as he's a believer, he um, feels this call by God to go from city to city to begin to tell people about Jesus Christ, to tell people about what Jesus has done, to, to come on the scene and to begin to flesh out what the gospel is, right? So we use terms with the gospels. He's going from city to city, explaining what the gospel is. So if you can imagine, he's going from Peoria to Glendale, and he's going there, he's setting up these little house churches, then he's going to Scottsdale, setting up his house church, he's going to the Arcadia area, he's going to downtown Phoenix, Mesa, Gilbert, he's going to these cities, these areas and he's setting up these churches and he's proclaiming the gospel. Now, this is one account in which Paul arrives in a city and he proclaims the gospel. Now, for us to understand before we get here, we have to understand what happens because Paul rolls into this city called Athens. And I'm sure you're familiar with this Athens city, Rome, right? So he comes into the city and he looks around and he sees idols everywhere. He sees God. So if you know anything about Greek mythology, there's the sun God, the God of the sea. There's the, there's the, the, the God, essentially the God of sex, right? There, there's uh, the God of the stars. There's the God of lightning. There's the God of the sky, the God of the ground. There's all these gods. And even still in the midst of that, there's these kind of smaller micro gods and they're just everywhere. And so people, if they need something, I need bread, they would offer sacrifices. And Paul is going around seeing these altars, seeing these sacrifice areas, these idols set up. And he's like, holy cow. Okay, He's been going from city to city, and when he rolls into this city, he sees idols everywhere. He sees people who love to worship. Now, the trick in this is he's going around telling people about the gospel, and he's telling people about Jesus Christ, and he's telling about what he has done and how he rose from the dead, and and, uh, people are listening. And the thing about Athens, it's the epicenter of like the forefront of um, modern culture. Uh, Literally, what we're told, and I'll I'll read it to you just so you can kind of Get your mind around what it says about these people. Um, Paul's going around, he's preaching this new divinity, and and they say to him, this wasn't in our text, but this is what it says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, him being Paul, and they said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And then hear what they say. And they took him and brought him to Aragopagus, um, uh, saying, may we know what this new teaching is and what he is presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived uh, lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing of something new. So this people, um, if you know anything, again, about Greek mythology, Greek philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, they're trying to figure out what the heck is life about? And so they would go to this area called Mars Hill, and they would just be like, hey, what do you think? No, well, what do you, here's what I, and they would process, and they're trying to, and they would love the thing of new ideas. Oh, man, that's, I've never thought of that before. And so they'll go, so Paul rolls on the scene, and he's, he's explaining this dude, Jesus, and this dude rose from the dead, what the heck is going on? So, hey, dude. Come meet us up at Mars Hill. Um, Let's talk about this because we want to hear more about what you're saying. And so he rolls up to Mars Hill, and then this is where we pick up our text, and this is how we follow it out. And so I want to read this text to us so you kind of understand where we're at, where we're going, and how we're going to get there, and and this will all be fleshed out. So let's start in verse 22. This is what it says. Paul, after he's been invited to the um, Areopagus, the, the Mars Hill, that's what it's also called. Paul then stood up in the meeting. Um, of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship." It's great. This is an inscription of an unknown God. You're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So I want you just to hear. Paul's going around and he's looking at all these idols. He's looking at all these places of sacrifice, and what does he call them? Everything we're about to talk about, everything that he's about to bring in front of us, he pockets in one word religiousness. Everything that's going to be talked forward from this moment on is Paul says, Hey, I see that you're very religious. I looked around and I saw all these gods. Matter of fact, you felt like you might've missed one. And so there's this inscription just in case to an unknown God. I see that you're very religious. And then he goes on. this is what he says. And I I, I think it's helpful. I'm going to read verse 24 and 25. And then we're really going to go at this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So Paul essentially is going to say, hey, let me just preach a little sermon to you very quickly. And let me say this. There's this, this area where all these idols are set up. You're very religious. And you have this inscription to this unknown God. And so I'm going to explain to you what you're missing. Because you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it in the wrong way. You're very religious. You worship, but you're missing the one you worship. You're completely missing this. And then he goes out. Remember, he's pocketing everything in religiousness. This is a people, hear this because this relates. This is a people who think that as long as they do the right thing, as long as they offer up, as long as they go to church on Easter, as long as they're there on Sunday, as long as they read their Bible, as long as they don't cuss, as long as they don't watch certain movies with the rated R symbol on it, as long as they don't listen to Tupac, as long as they don't, as long as they do, as long as they don't. And I need crops, and so I offer... I need, I need certain things, and so I offer they're very, very religious. And Paul says, I see that you're very religious, but let me tell you something about the God you don't understand. There's two things you need to understand about that he is not, and there's one thing you need to understand that he is. And again, in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built with human hands. So as much as you want to relegate God, as if churches, when you drive down the street, are certain Holy Spirit hotspots, as much as you want to relegate God to these areas, we're saying, that's a religious experience. There's this, this spiritual experience can be found in that building. Paul says, that's not God. That's not God. Furthermore, some, let me tell you something else. God is not. He is not to be served with human hands. So as much as you want to get it right and put your righteousness in a corner and say, see God, this is what I've done, I've got it right. That's not God. You cannot serve him enough. You can't fast enough. You can't read enough. There's no amount of perfect attendance at church that God wakes up as if you're some his righteous tooth fairy. Wakes up in the morning, wow, look how good John has been today. Okay, That's not happening. He's not surprised about how awesome you are. And so For us to even begin to process that God can be relegated to one area or that God can be served with human hands as if we can earn his favor is not God. So before we get to the resurrection, let's talk about what God is not here. Just because we come once a year, twice a year, does not make us okay. He's not like the IRS, you guys, that as long as we pay our dues, we're cool. That's not how it works. And then he goes on to say something that God is, which is amazing, right? Because verse 25, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. So not only can God not be served by human hands, not only is God not amazed or surprised by your righteousness, but he gives. He gives. So for you to go... Man, because I, I, like, if anyone in this story knows religiousness, it's Paul. For me to, to, to memorize or me to do all the right things, for me not to be a, a bad person, for me to be a good person, to, for me to, to give my money or whatever it is, makes me feel good inside and I'm doing the right thing. For, for us to recognize that, man, listen, at the end of the day, we have to understand our place in this relationship, that it is God who gives. So, so I need us to understand. Our job in our relationship with God is not... To do, our job is to receive. Now we're going to get to something because that's a tricky statement. But our job is to receive in this moment because it is God who gives. So, so check it out. This is um, maybe a nuance, and I, I constantly get, keep getting in trouble by referencing cultural things. Like I like The Simpsons. Okay, um, but but here's the here's the reality of it all, man. Um, alcohol. Okay, God made alcohol. He created alcohol as a good gift. Now, by avoiding alcohol, you are not a better person than someone. You're not righteous because you avoid alcohol. If you recognize alcohol as a gift from God, that it can be enjoyed. Now, again, I say this. I'm not a sinner, so I don't drink, okay? Um, but, but, but alcohol, okay? I really wish I would because I kind of quit getting laughed at like that. Um but, but alcohol can be enjoyed in the way that God has given it as a gift. But we take it and we create a religiousness about it. You're very religious as long as I don't drink. But God's saying, I give. I give as a gift. Enjoy. But just like anything else, God puts protections around it. Because the things that are good, the good gifts in life, don't we put um, safety valves around them? I mean, man, don't we take our, um, our wills? Don't we take our birth certificates? Don't we take our 401Ks or whatever it is and we put them in safes? Don't we put our money in banks? Don't we protect the good things? And this is God saying, enjoy. Enjoy sex, but I have boundaries, man, because I know how it's to be performed. I enjoy alcohol, but I have boundaries because I know it's how to be enjoyed. And so God provides gifts. You are not the giver in this relationship. You are not awesome. Okay. Happy Easter. (laughs) Now, let me, um, I I, want to see this because this is, this is a big deal. Um, this, this really hits home because as we're going to move into the resurrection for a minute, this really hits home because this is a a fearful thought of mine. I really, when I was sitting down with God, I said, okay, man, like I don't know, what do you do with people who, who tend to think because we go to church once a year or people who, man, even if you're in the church every year and we're celebrating the resurrection, um, could, could lean into the direction of getting it all right and think, and that means you're all right with God. What do we do with this? And, and the only thing that I came to mind is there's a serious fear in this, you guys. Matthew 7 gives us a clear warning that there will be one day people standing before God and saying, hey, listen, Jesus, what's going on? He said, I, I, don't, I don't know you, man. Uh, but, but listen, I, I've cast out demons like I, I gave to the poor. I've done. Hey, hey, bro, I, I, I don't know you. And there is this fear of mine for you that you can think that because you do a bunch of good things that you're going to stand before Jesus and say, here it is. All the good stuff I've done. Can, can I enter? And Jesus is going to look at you and say, bro, I don't know you. I, I don't know you. Which, which is interesting because the next um, part of the verse. So our job is not to earn grace, it's to receive it. We have another job, and this is our job, and this text is going to lay out what our job is in the midst of understanding that God is a giver. He, is, he gives, he gives freely. Uh, verse 26, for one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. So before he gets in, he just makes a little declaration. Let me stop real quick and just say this. Hey, hey just so you know, he's standing before all these people, just so you know, um, Athenians, um, he has, had you been born, those of you live in the valley, he, he's had you been born where you are, when you are. So you were born and you live in Peoria, Glendale, Phoenix, wherever it is, you were born and you live where you are, when you are, when it is right now, because God has set that up. So I'm literally about to read why God created you. Okay. So what is the answer to life Let Papa Sean tell you? Okay. That's silly. That's not true. Um, let's let the Bible tell you. Okay. Um, now let look at the first four words. God did this. So So he puts you in the boundaries of your dwelling when you are. God did this so. He made you live where you live. When you live there, God did this so. Hear this. God did this so that they would seek him, perhaps reach out for him, and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our very being. As some of your own poets have said, we are. Are his offspring. So, our job is not to earn him, our job is to seek him. Our job is not to earn him, our job, and the, the Greek word literally is grope for him, reach out for him. Like a blind man, I'm searching for who, who God is. Our job is not to earn him, our job is to know him. It's not to earn him, it's to find him. So, we just moved. Um, uh, my family. We just moved just a, a mile up six to 67th Avenue in Peoria. This nice little small house, and, and we. Um, I had to do some work in there, and. and uh, I was in one of the rooms, and we don't know whose room is who at this time, right? And I'm in this room, and I'm in the closet, and just Corbin with me. And I'm like, Corbin, come here, buddy. I need your help. Now, Corbin, I don't know where. He's like in the living room. And he comes in, and I'm in the closet, oh, you know, working on the closet. And, and he's like, where are you? And he comes in the room. I'm, I'm in here. Now, I don't know how to describe in here because there's no room. Like, I can't say in your room or mom and dad. There's no rooms yet. Like, I'm in here in the closet. Okay, so he, then he walks in like, where? I'm in the room. Okay, and, he, and he's walking around in the room. Now, he hears my voice. He hears my voice, but he, he doesn't know where I am. And I felt like a, like a perfect analogy. Here is God, and he has placed eternity in your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11. There's something throbbing within you that goes, I recognize there's a God. And then sometimes I, I, I may allow my mind to get in the way. Sometimes I, I may question and doubt. And as a pastor, so do I, FYI. And I may wonder and I, I don't understand, but there's something within me that says, I need to find this dude who's calling me. And so we go to a room and I, okay, I don't, and I hear his voice and I don't, son, come to me, daughter, come to me. And he's calling us. And in this moment, it's not because, like Corbin didn't have to go, I wonder if my dad loves me. I wonder if my dad really wants me to find him. I wonder if my dad cares for me. No, those were all assumed. He didn't have to earn my love. When he found me, he wasn't my son. Suddenly in this moment, he's already my son. He's already my child. Find me, find me. And this is the declaration Paul to the Athenians. You're looking around at silly idols, man. You're looking to find favor and grace and, and ultimately eternity. You're looking to find like, meaning and purpose in these silly idols. And I'm telling you, God is not to be earned. He's to be sought after. He's already paved the way for that. That you would trust in him. That you would say, I, I believe that you've died for my sins. I believe that there's nothing I can do. I believe that it is finished. And because of that, I go after you. And this is tough, isn't it? Like, because essentially the back end of these verses, when it says this, for, for in him we live and move, um, or for though he's not far off from us, in verse 27, for in him we live, we move, and we have our very being. Um, and then he says this, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So, culturally, let's talk about what Paul's doing, because he's doing something phenomenal. He has pocketed everything he has said in religiousness. And so, maybe some of you in here would say you are not a Christian. Uh, you hate the idea of Christianity. You think the resurrection is stupid. Um, and a- at the end of the day, you would say, I'm not a religious person. And I would argue you are more religious than most. And, he- and here's why. He pockets everything that he is saying in this moment in religion, in religion. And then what he does is he quotes um, Aratus, this, this poet who writes this poem. At the very end, as some of your poets have said is what it says. At the end of this poem, this, this poem which is about Zeus who's created all these things, and at the very last line of the poem, it says this, We are his offspring. So I want you to hear what Paul's doing. He's quoting this poet for Athenians that here, Zeus is the man. He's the God of lightning. He's the God of the sky. He's the dude. If you know anything, Hercules, the son of Zeus, right? So here is Zeus and Zeus is far off. He's up in heaven and we are his offspring. And yet Paul goes, you got the fact that we are his offspring, right? But it's the wrong person. The offspring of who you belong to is not far away that demands your sacrifice. He's not far away that demands your service. He's not far away for you to get it right. But he is here. He is near you. He desires to be close. He is looking for relationship. He is not looking for a contract. Every time I do a wedding, I always explain the same thing to the couple. God, at the very core of what he has done, is desiring to make a covenant with you and not a contract. And unfortunately, in our culture, we don't know what the term covenant means, but a covenant, at the end of the day, when we do marriage, it's between a husband and a wife. We may sign a piece of paper, but let me make, let me make crystal clear, when we do a wedding, we're saying you are going in covenant with one another because a contract says, as long as I pay the APS bill, then I get energy. As long as I pay the water bill, then I get water. If I pay T-Mobile, then I get phone service. As long as I do, then I get. But a covenant says, no matter how far you go, no matter what happens, no matter what takes place, no matter how many times you get it right, no matter what you give to me, I am here for you. And God does not desire to be in contract with us. He does not desire to say, pay your dues. He desires at the very core for you to seek him, for you to grope for him, for you to long for him, for you to know him, for you to find him. And you want to know why? Because he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live, we move, and we have our very being. So Paul lays out the gospel. He's preaching the sermon in front of all these Athenians, these people who feel like they've had to earn God and they're trying to figure out who God is. And he lays out the fact that you don't need to earn it. And then Uh, this hinge verse, which is extremely helpful. Um, he, He says this, verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So verse 29, a great reminder. God is not someone who can be served like stone, silver, gold. That is not how it takes place. Everything we've been talking about, it's not something that you can do by your own design or skill. Doesn't matter how awesome you are. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance but he now commands all people everywhere to repent so 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 check this out man okay check this out you used to walk before i came up here and said anything you used to to be okay with this idea that as long as you can get your church services in or as long as you can do the right thing as long as you don't look at pornography and and then feel this huge weight of failure and you're never going to get it right as long as you do all the right things in all the right ways As long as you get it all right, you're okay. And we were just told that is not how God works. That's not how it takes place. And it's important because he says this, again, I'm going to read it in verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. It it used to be like that, but but hear me. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Athenians, hear me. God has overlooked the fact that you have worshipped these idols, that you have given yourself away countless times again and again. But no more. He's looking at you. He's looking at me. He looked at the Athenians 2,000 years ago. And he's saying it's time to repent. But he's pocketed everything in religiousness. So I'm not just talking to the prostitute whose dad over and over and over beat her and is in the the worst situation ever in your life. And you'll never feel like you're going to earn God. Yes, Jesus is talking to you. But right now in this moment, these Athenians are religious. And he's telling religious people to repent. He's telling religious people to say, you've tried to earn God, but that's demonic. That's witchcraft. Repent. Because one day you're going to stand before God and think all of your religious accolades are enough. And then hear me. This is is so beautiful. This is the gospel. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. So he does not look at you and and say, well, you suck. Because th- the reality is, if you're a Christian in here, everything, and if you're not a Christian in here, the truth is everything that is going to be judged, everyth- everyone who, who will find justice before them is found to stand before Jesus Christ, and he is the one that God looks to. And so you can try to stand here and say, well, I've done enough. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Or you can stand here and say he's done enough. You've got two options because it's by that man. It's by Jesus Christ that he is judged and appointed where justice stands for the world. And as religious as you want to be, it's by Jesus, by that one man. And This is where the Athenians get turned on their head. Um, and I think this is where we get turned on our head, because um, what takes place is um, this short little synopsis of what Luke, who writes the book of Acts, um, is giving us is so like a truncated version of what's Paul's saying, because he doesn't ever even say the name of Jesus up to this point. He doesn't, he doesn't say, we don't know if we're just reading this, who this one man is, and, and unfortunately we want to get to the resurrection that he has risen, but we don't even know the story. And I've told this story a thousand times and some of you have heard me tell it a hundred times, but hear me one more time. There was a day when there was nothing. When the earth was formless and it was without voice, it was blank and it was black and it was dark. And this Lord of everything comes in and he begins to speak things into existence and he creates trees and he creates plants and he creates fish and he creates birds. He creates livestock and kangaroos. He creates guacamole. He creates it all. And so as he's creating, he's creating everything beautiful, and he's creating this foundational truth in the midst of everything that's being created. All things will bring me glory. In Psalm 19, 1 through 4, the skies display his craftsmanship. The earth speaks his name day after day, though their voice is never heard, their message goes out into the entire world. We're told that all these things are to bring God glory, and then he creates man, and man is no different. That man now is formed and he's created with this one purpose to bring God glory. Now, if it was you who's trying to get all the glory, that would be awful. But when it's God, it's amazing. And the reason it's amazing is because God knows when he gets all the glory, you get your fullest joy. When he gets all the accolades, when everything points to him, you will be most happy. You will find no matter what takes place, whether martyrdom, losing in a relationship, losing a family member, what brokenness takes place in your life. If he gets the glory, your joy will be fulfilled. And so he looks at creation and says, everything would be perfect if you would bring me all the glory. It's literally the opposite of ego centrality. It's the opposite of you and me saying everything should be about me because when God makes everything about himself, he is making everything about you. (laughs) Awesome, and then here, Adam and Eve, in this moment, though they are created to bring God glory, choose not God. They choose to, to, to put their their their, um, their, their accolades, or, or more importantly, they choose to put their um, what's the best word I'm looking for their promises, or maybe their chips in, in in this side that hey, maybe we can get it, maybe we'll listen, and they choose not God. And when they choose not God, everything breaks down. And when everything breaks down, suddenly nothing's right. So now I'm trying to find my joy in a man. I'm trying to find my joy in a woman. I'm trying to find it in food. I'm trying to find it in things. I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to find it because everything is broken. And now the earth is groaning because the earth is broken and everything is tearing apart. And now God has a people, this people Israel, but they can't get it right because over and over when they do get it right, they, they beat their chest and say, it's me. And when they don't get it right, they feel like they're going to worship foreign gods. And they do over and over. There's this brokenness, even though God has made everything to be this way. until one day in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of darkness, this man enters. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he begins the restoration process. He says, no more do you have to walk in this brokenness. No more do you have to walk in this death. And he's in this moment, Paul is laying out to these Athenians. It is bigger. It is better. You know, the world's broken because you're seeking after things in which you cannot grasp. It's found in Jesus Christ. And what's amazing about this is um, one of my favorite verses um, in, in uh, the Bible, is Titus 3, 3 through 5, when it says we, like ta- uh, Titus or Paul's talking to Titus in this moment, talking about this church, we ourselves, we, we were led astray, told, absolutely led astray in this brokenness. We were disobedient. Absolutely broken or uh, disobedient. We were led astray. We are disobedient. We are blasphemers, blasphemers. We are passing our days in malice and envy, hated by one another and hating each other. Then hear this, but God in his loving kindness came and he made us righteous. He gave us mercy. He, and then the term is saved us, not by works done in us by righteousness, So he saved us by his own mercy, not by what we can do. And so everyone succumbs to Jesus Christ, the man who is fixing everything. And he tells the Athenians this. There's the story. There's his message. There's his sermon. And so at the end, let's go on. This is what it says. So in the midst of understanding all the idols that you're a religious people, and you need to succumb to who Jesus is, and you need to trust in Jesus, you need to repent before Jesus Christ, he makes this crazy declaration. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So let's rewind the clock. Why do we celebrate the resurrection? Like, why is it a big deal, man? Because everything we've just talked about is complete moronic gibberish if the resurrection does not take place. So if we were to read, which we can, in 1 Corinthians 15, this is what it says. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, our faith in, is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if it is in Christ we have hope in our life only we are the most people to be pitied so just real quick the the verses look at this in verse 14 faith in christ would be useless without the resurrection no one would be redeemed from their sin without the resurrection all former believers would have perished without the resurrection christians would be the most pitied of all the earth which i think is hilariously true and we would not have a hope of a resurrection one day so here's why the resurrection is important you would still have to get it right you you would read the story of the Athenians and you would have to get it right. You better stop listening to that music. You better stop watching those movies. Seeking him. Who cares about seeking him? Get this thing right. Without the resurrection, it doesn't matter. Without the resurrection, all your family members that you say have gone to heaven, they're still in their sin. They're, They're dead and they're in hell because they have not earned it enough because Hundreds of people have come in, come in Palm Sunday. Hundreds of people have come in on a donkey and proclaimed to be the Messiah. Hundreds of people have died on a cross, but we put our hope and our trust in this one man to say that he has rose again, because if, if he hasn't rose again, then death has not been defeated, then, then Satan did win. Then that story I just shared is, is pointless. There is no redemption. We celebrate the resurrection because it's a big deal at the very core of our faith, your forgiveness is at stake. Now, this is how we're going to close. She didn't read these verses, and, but I, I, I want to uh, read these verses in verse 32, 33, and 34, because this is, um, this is what I'll leave you with, and this is the opportunity that you, um, that you have, and this is the decision that you're going to have to make. This is what it says. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, so let me just explain something. Paul has been saying over and over, here's this, here's this. And then he said, Jesus, this man whom everyone is going to be judged by, was raised from the dead. Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I get it. He's forgiven our sins and a guy died for us. But you're telling me he was raised from the dead? And when they heard about the resurrection... Not the gospel in which he died. No, no. When they heard about the resurrection, that some dude was raised from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection, some began to sneer. Others said, we shall hear you again in concerning this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined and believed. Among those who were diocesan and he names these people who began to follow. And, and I think um, this is what I'll leave you with. You, you have three choices at this moment. Because... Uh, there's no clout or swagger that I can bring to this text that, that makes you see something that's really great that, that you could not read on your own, right? Um, but but what, here's what we know. These Athenians are left with three options, um, and some take one, some take option two, some take option three. Um, f- for the first one, some look, and they say, that's just stupid. It a sneer, like they mock, they begin to laugh. It is ridiculous that you would believe some dude died. And then he rose from the dead, scientifically not possible, physically just not possible. It's not going, we, we've, we don't see that. It doesn't happen. You can't prove it. They mocked. They sneered. That, that's, man, I, can't, I cannot make you not do that. that that's one option you have. On the, on the flip side, there's some people at the end who followed, right? There's some people, and he gives some names, who listened and said, holy cow. I've been spending my whole life worshiping silly idols. I've been spending my whole life trying to earn God. And and now you're telling me that this dude beat death? I mean, if the dude's conquering death, what can't he handle? He could definitely take over my my silly sins. And so they follow. And then there's this middle group. There's this middle group that, and, and, and I quote, we shall hear you again concerning this. And I think for some of you, um, you you need to count that cost. Like, some of you would go, eh, I don't know. And here's what I would say to you. Well, then do the research, man. Like, quit treating eternity like it's fickle. Quit treating eternity like it's emotional. It's a reality. Whether you want to hear it or not, you will stand before God. You will be judged. And if you are not standing before Jesus Christ you're done for. And for you to go, the resurrection might be true, is not something to mess around with. And so I would pray if you're in this room and you don't know where you stand as a Christian, you don't know if what Christianity is about, you're trying to figure this thing out, that you would hear more about it. That you, you, you would take this decision serious, that you would look it up, that you would research, that you would read the Bible, that you would see that Hundreds of thousands of people have given their life for the very thing that you go. Countless men and women will be killed just today because of the resurrection. And you go, Easter's great, man. It's great. And it's fun to look for silly eggs. It's fun to go to lunch after this. But at the end of the day, your salvation is dependent on whether or not this dude was raised from the dead. May we take that serious. And if you're a Christian in here, may we rejoice in the fact that we know it to be true, that he was laid in the grave, that death could not hold him down, that he rose from the dead, that he appeared to the disciples, that he ascended into heaven, that he's at the right hand of the father, that he looks down and says, no, 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 I pay for that. No, 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 I pay for that. Remember, I have scars in my hand. You will stand before God for all eternity if you are a Christian, and you have a perfectly resurrected body. You will be without flaw, but there will be one man who spends all of eternity having holes in his hands to remind you why you can do such a thing. That man is Jesus Christ. May we celebrate his resurrection. May we understand his resurrection. May we fall completely in love with the idea that he was raised for us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for who you are. We would be foolish to not thank you for the cross, to thank you that at the end of the day, our works of righteousness is not what saves us, but as Titus 3 says, it's, it's you, and it's because, it's by, it's for your mercy. We do not deserve to be saved. But because of your cross, because of the blood that was shed, we are. But see, even still, there's so many people who have died, there's so many people who will die for the religion this year who are not Christian. So on top of that, we thank you for the consummating truth, the the idea, Father, that you raised your son who spent like eternity with you, came to the earth, and then you pour out your wrath, that he became our sin. You pour out your wrath on him, but you are not a hateful father. You do not leave your son in the grave, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you raise him from the dead to say, see, he did not die in vain. That we can trust in the fact you've done what you've done, it is purposeful. You've done what you've done, it has meaning. You've done what you've done, it is powerful. You've done what you've done, and it is enough. Thank you for the resurrection. We are so grateful. And we are grateful that one day we too will be resurrected because of what you've done. That we don't have to worry about fear of death, as in Hebrews 2 would say. That we don't have to be slaves to this world because of that that we don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us when we die, but we go from temporal to eternal in moments. Thank you for the resurrection. This secures it all for us. I would pray that you would instill that within our hearts, and I pray for those three groups in here, that those who would sneer and mock, I pray that you would soften their hearts as Ezekiel would say, that you would take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, give them ears to hear. I pray those who would continue to ponder as I've been there, that they would continue to wonder and seek and looked after whether or not they believe this crazy thing because the truth, that it, truth is, it is, as you said, it's foolishness to those who are perishing and it doesn't make sense. And those in this room who celebrate the resurrection, continue to remind them and give them hope and joy in all that you've done and all that you continue to do. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.